Well, when the world went into lockdown about six months ago in March, um, I don't know if you noticed that there were some great uh, memes that came out at that time. Have a look at some of them. Uh, there's this famous one, uh, the Beatles cover, uh, album cover, but in a COVID world, reimagined. Now, how about this one? This meme reminds us that not everyone uh, would have found isolation and social distancing quite as hard as others. And my favorite one of all, the Where's Wally COVID edition. Now, I remember seeing these about six months ago and they were pretty funny, weren't they? But I wonder if, like me, six months on, you don't find them quite as funny anymore. When Victoria announced stage four restrictions about a month ago, Lifeline, the uh, mental health hotline, it just went haywire. It went into overdrive. As people contemplated another round of social distancing and even stricter social distancing, it was, it was devastating for many, right? Now, those who are lonely, those who are depressed, those who live on their own or those who live in abusive households, this has been terrible for them. And then as the death toll began to rise in aged care settings and the aged care sector, we saw a national tragedy just unfold before our eyes. And for many of us who may have elderly parents or grandparents, we can imagine, can't we, how devastating, horrible it must have been not to even be able to see them and, and, and be with them in person when they're so frail and they're so fearful. I mean, to be socially distanced at this time when they're facing possible death, you can't even put into words how tragic that is, can you? But here's the thing, though. Like, what, what choice did we have? What choice do we have? Yeah, social distancing has to happen. It's the only solution in a pandemic. The healthy have to be kept away from the sick or the potentially sick. Quarantine has to happen. Lockdown has to happen. There's no other choice until we get a workable vaccine. And so terrible as it is, lonely and isolating as it is, with all the sadness of, that comes with not being able to be with people physically, to, to touch, to shake hands, to kiss, to go to concerts and sporting games, to work, to go to church. Social distancing, well, we have to live with that now, don't we? And who knows for how long in the future? We have no choice. I wonder if you've ever thought, is there good news any good news for our socially distanced new world order, our COVID world? Well, believe it or not, there is. Believe it or not. You see, God has an unbelievably comforting message for us today. Even as we are distanced from each other right now, as you're listening to this, probably in socially distanced ways. And God's message is this. The good news is this that God himself will not stay socially distanced, all right? The God who created us and loves us, and he is not limited by space, by distance, or by pandemics. He promises to be with us, close to us, in us. You see, we can experience God so intimately, so closely, because in Jesus, God has come to bridge that distance between us and him forever. And so the good news is that COVID world or not, those who trust in Jesus will never be left alone, never be distanced from God ever again. I really believe that some of us really need to hear that today. Let me pray and ask God to reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Father God, in this time when we're feeling wearied 
anxious, maybe scared. Our future is uncertain and we especially feel isolated from each other, away from family and friends and physical contact and all those things we love being social people that we are. You promised today to give us good news. And so I pray that you would especially speak to those who need to hear it through this incredible part of your word today. And as a result, people will know and experience you intimately, closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go further, uh, I want to remind us of the context of the passage I'm going to be focusing on, the bit that we read in Mark chapter 5. Uh, Mark has written a biography of Jesus, and Mark is like the uh, action director of uh, biographies of, of, of the Gospels. Uh, Jesus gets launched straight into the action in chapter 1. He comes on scene and he announces that he is the new ruler. He's the new king in God's coming kingdom. In other words, there is a much needed regime change coming. And it's coming and it's needed because this world that he came to and this world that we live in is so very, very broken. And, and Jesus has come to do something about it. Now, here's the thing that when he comes and announces himself as the new ruler in God's new world order, uh, he comes... And does things really unexpectedly. You see, Jesus doesn't march into the world with, with power and pomp. No, he comes as an ordinary working class guy. He's born into a poor backwater part of a tiny oppressed nation in the first century. And most importantly, though, Jesus comes and he doesn't avoid all of the brokenness and all the messiness and all the filth of the world. He, he comes right up close into the thick of it. Uh, we don't have time to read the whole of chapter 5 of Mark's biography, but if we did, we would see that Jesus is swimming in the midst of the worst of human suffering. It's a bit like uh, last week when I bought my dad a durian uh, for Father's Day. Took it in the car, drove it home. It's only a short trip, about 15 minutes. But boy, that car smelt like durian for days afterwards, Okay. In Mark chapter 5, the whole chapter, if you want to imagine, has the stench, not of durian, but the stench of death hanging over every part, every episode, every encounter, every verse in chapter 5. You see, chapter 5 began with a man so demon-possessed that he had to be away from human society completely. He actually lived among the dead. He lived in the graveyards. This guy was metaphorically the living dead. And then in the bit just before ours, in, in, in chapter 5, Jesus meets a man whose 12-year-old girl is at death's door. And we find out a bit afterwards that she actually does die. And then, of course, in our chapter, in our, sorry, in our passage, Jesus meets a woman who's effectively, spiritually, and socially dead. I mean, she's so distant, she's so on her own, we'll see in a moment, that she might as well be dead. All right? This is how God meets his world in Jesus, right up close, right up close and personal. Uh, there's a Muslim guy I sometimes chat to when I walk the dog. His name's Alan. Uh, and uh, Alan is not particularly religious, so he's actually really open for me to talk to him about Jesus. And I, I pray over him lots. He's got a lot of uh, physical um, conditions that he, he needs prayer for. Um, he's not very religious, but he still considers himself a Muslim. Um, now, last time we chatted, uh, he, uh, he told me how accepting he was and happy he was that I was a Christian and was willing to pray for him. Uh, because he told me, and, and rightly so, he told me that uh, Muslims also uh, believe in Jesus. All right. But he said, the only difference, he said, the only difference is that Jesus, according to the Quran, 
well, isn't God. He isn't God in human flesh. For how could God become a man, in his view, and still be God? All right, that kind of thinking he says is, well, it's just too beneath God. It's unimaginable. It's, 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 he didn't say this, but really to Muslims, it's blasphemous. Well, you know, Alan is right in that that is the key difference, isn't it? Between the Quran and the Bible when it comes to Jesus. But don't you see, it is the difference that makes the message of Jesus, according to the Bible, such good news. You see, the God of the Bible is the God who became a man. He came right up close and personal into our world. And so with that in mind, let's delve into Mark's account. Now, we read it earlier, so we won't reread it. What I do want you to do, though, is I want you to imagine this scene. All right, this bit that we read, let's, let's imagine it played out in our minds. Um, because I studied film and video production in uni, I love to think about this cinematically. Because I reckon the, the Mark, the biographer, the storyteller, the narrator, actually deliberately, the way that he writes this, he wants us to go right into the scene, to take the point of view of this desperate woman who came in the crowds that day in search for Jesus. So in movie terms, if you were the director, uh, you wouldn't shoot this from a wide shot or, or a bird's eye view, certainly not that. You wouldn't even shoot this as a, as a close-up tracking shot of the woman as she pushes her way through the crowd. No, you would be shooting this in first person. Do you know what I mean by first person, right? You would actually be seeing it through her eyes. Uh, for you gamers out there, this is not League of Legends. This is Minecraft or, or Elder Scrolls. It's first person. So we read that day that a large crowd followed Jesus and pressed around him. So I want you to imagine that. Imagine a large crowd. Now, at this point, a lot of you, like me, will be like, I can't even remember the last time I was in a large crowd. It's hard to imagine. Um, but that, that was what was there that day, a real crowd, okay? And, and I mean a real crowd, not the kind of crowds you get in Australia. Now, this was like a kind of crowd you get in Asia, you know what I mean? Like you've been to Hong Kong or Japan or any of those places during peak hour when you're trying to get on public transport. That's the kind of crowd we're talking about. Pressing crowd, uh, suffocating. You have no personal space. You can only all shuffle in one direction type of crowd. So there you are in that crowd. Imagine that. And then in verse 25, you are that woman in the crowd because here you are. And, and, and the background is that you've got this medical condition. This terrible medical condition where you can't stop your menstrual bleeding. So every day for the last 12 years, you've had to manage that bleeding, manage the inconvenience, manage the, the embarrassment and shame, and perhaps even the pain. And you live alone because in your society, a woman having a period made you religiously unclean until the bleeding stopped. And then while you were unclean, anyone who touched you would themselves become religiously unclean. Only you have had your period every single day for the last 12 years. So you're always unclean and no one will ever come near you while you're unclean because you can't go to the temple. You can't worship God. You can't offer sacrifices for your sins. You are utterly alone and you're poor because what kind of a job can you hold down with the condition that you have when people don't even want to come near you? And every penny that you do have, you, well, we read that you, that you spent on doctors, wasting your money on doctors who couldn't help you. 
And this is the first century, by the way, so you can imagine some of the treatments may have been pretty barbaric. And every time you go to the doctors, you hope against hope that something might happen that, that would help you, but then you have your hopes dashed and dashed again and again and again, and you've run out of money. But there you are that day. You're there in that crowd. And you're, you know that that crowd was there pressing up against the one man who you actually believed might actually help you. Because you heard about Jesus. He, he spoke with such authority like no one you've ever heard of before. Um, his teaching lit up the countryside like wildfire. And then, of course, his miracles, right? I mean, he did only what only God could do. You heard about blind people who could suddenly see and deaf people who could hear and demon-possessed people who suddenly had been freed in, a, in an instant. And so with all the crowd that day pressing up against Jesus, you join them and, and you hope that no one would call you out because in the crowd, maybe they won't notice you. And so you're there pushing and shoving your way through that sea of people trying to get your miracle. Well, let's pick up the story in verse 27. Let me read those verses again. I hope you're imagining this. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Well, she got her miracle, didn't she? Because what do we read next? We read that immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, at this point, I want you to imagine the camera suddenly shifts perspective. We move away from the first person view from the woman's eyes and we cut to Jesus. We read, we read in verse 31 that somehow, and we're not sure how, after she touches Jesus' clothes, Jesus experiences, realizes that the power has been released from him. Um, it's a little bit like, I suppose, a house that's all wired up to the electrical mains. Uh, Jesus notices that a, an appliance has been suddenly plugged in. There's been a flow of power from him to someone else. Don't know how it happened. We're not explained that, but that's what happens. And so Jesus asks, well, who touched my clothes? Now at this, his own disciples kind of scoff at him. Jesus, are you serious? I mean, literally everyone, literally that day was touching Jesus. I remember this was a swarming, suffocating sea of people. So they tell Jesus, look, let's just move on, Jesus. Let's keep going. Get out of the crowd. It's not worth searching for just one person. It's like searching for a needle in a haystack. Yet Jesus insists. He stops and the crowd stops with him. He calls out again, who touched me? You can imagine he's, he's looking, he's searching, he's waiting. Then a moment later, we cut back to the woman and she's there, face pale, scared, but she comes up to Jesus. Right, verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth now why was she trembling with fear well it could be that she thought she was in a bit of trouble right she had touched jesus accessed his power without his permission um, maybe that's why she was scared it could also be because well there was remember a lot of social and religious taboos of the jewish world i mean she is a woman that's the first thing she could be punished for deliberately 
touching a, a, a man in public who wasn't her husband, all right? There was that. And, and remember, remember, she was religiously unclean. By touching Jesus, she would make him unclean as well. Now, it was all well and good when she was hiding in the crowd, but now that she is identified, everyone would know who she is. The judgments, the tongue wagging would start. But another reason she might have been afraid, maybe also because in that moment, she experienced a power that was so out of this world that she knew that Jesus was no ordinary man. You see, when people are confronted with God, and God's power and identity like that. All throughout the Bible, fear is the first most natural response. Moses at the burning bush. Um, or we've looked at Job, haven't we? When God talks to Job out of the storm. Or, or when the prophet Isaiah sees heavens open up and, and there the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne. When you come face to face with God and His power, His raw power, you are rightly overwhelmed. It's or, but it's also fear. But then, what happens? Right? She's there, she's afraid, she's on her knees, but then what happens? Well, we read, didn't we, that Jesus, with all the tenderness in the world, says to her, you can imagine that, he maybe bends down, he's looking her right in the eye, maybe reaches out and grabs her hand. And she, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now she, that day, she came for something, didn't she? She came for something. That thing was a cure for her tragic condition. But Jesus, he stopped because he was looking for someone. He just wanted her he didn't want to just give her healing. He wanted her. When his disciples couldn't be bothered, Jesus bothered. Because Jesus, you see, is the undistanced God. Now, it's pretty obvious how this account may really speak to us right now in a COVID world, yeah? Right? Even though this woman's condition wasn't contagious, uh, her social and religious taboos made her like someone with a virus, Yeah? You couldn't touch her without being religiously contaminated, so you had to stay away. She had to be distanced, quarantined. But then God comes along. God comes along that day in Jesus. And not only is he unfazed by the fact that she touched him, he actually commends her for her faith in touching him. And he calls her, look at the words, he calls her daughter. He establishes intimacy. He establishes relationship. He bridges all of those distances of, of gender and society and religion. And he comes right up close. And by this very public act in front of everyone, Jesus also makes sure that everyone there in the crowd knows that she is now okay. She is socially and religiously okay. You can come near her again. And so you see, he gives her more than her health back. He deliberately does this, looks for her, calls her out so that he can restore her humanity back to her. He gives her her dignity back. He gives her love. Because Jesus, you see, is the undistanced God. And if he can do that for her, imagine what he can do for you and me. But there's more, you see. In Mark's biography of Jesus, there's only one place in Mark's biography where Jesus is distanced 
from his followers. Right? There's only one place where you're going to find that. And it's right at the end. Right at the end when Jesus is hanging, dying on the cross. You see, Mark goes out of the way to emphasize that as Jesus goes to his execution on the cross, that no one goes with him. You got that the journey to Jesus' death, he had to do utterly alone. And even the bravest of and closest of the disciples, which, by the way, in the book of Mark, is not any of the men, right? The women disciples, even those who followed him as close as possible, we read in Mark that even they could only stand at a distance as he is hanging there on the cross crucified. You got that? And then when he's actually breathing his last on the cross, we read uh, that Jesus utters a cry that's so desolate, so alone, because he says, my God, my God, you remember these words? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus dies utterly alone, utterly forsaken, utterly distanced from everyone in every way, even from God the Father. Now, why is that? The Jesus who through this whole gospel has never been distanced from anyone, deliberately comes up close. Why is it that at his death, he is so removed, so distanced, so utterly alone? Well, it's because by default, something stands in the way of God being intimate or close to any human being, any of us. Right? Without that something that stands in the way dealt with, we could no more come close to God than a bird can fly and touch the sun. Or a person with COVID can come in contact with a healthy. Or a bacteria can come into an operating theater. Right? And that thing that stands in between us and God, that distances us from God, is sin. It's our sin, our guilt, our shame, our brokenness, our rebellion, our disobedience of God, our Creator. And that's why in the, the, the Bible, for the most of the majority of the Bible, God has to remain distance from people. That's why you see there were those cleanliness laws, religious taboos for God's Old Testament people, Israel, the Jewish nation. That's why this woman as a Jew could not go to the temple while she was bleeding because her condition was a reminder of how broken our world is. God had to remain at a distance until, until that day when Jesus hung on the cross. Because in that one act of Jesus dying, he bears all of our guilt. He bears all of our shame. He bears all of our sin in our place. In his one death, he pays it all instead of us. And that's why he was so utterly forsaken by God. Because he was the sin bearer. Our sin on him caused the Son of God to be distanced from his Father. And that's why Jesus was so utterly alone. That's why he had to go to the cross alone. Because only he, no one else, not his disciples, not his followers, could go with him. Because if any of his followers were to benefit from his death, they could only watch from a distance and let Jesus finish the job, you see. But because of what he did for us, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that thing that stands between us and God, that's dealt with once and for all. Yes, sin is cancelled. It's, it's, it's dealt with. It's paid for. And so nothing can ever stand between God and his people ever again. So you see what's happened. Jesus, at the end of Mark's biography, 
He was distanced so that we would never ever be distanced from God. Right? Jesus was distanced so that we would never ever be distanced from God. Now that is good news, isn't it? That's great news. Well, there are two ways to respond to this good news. The, the, the woman models the first response. Her desperation and her boldness is otherwise known in the Bible as faith. Yeah, faith. Faith, you see, isn't something that's just head knowledge. It really isn't. Right, that you believe that Jesus could heal. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's up to the task. No, no, no. You see, true faith in the Bible is a kind of desperation. Right? It's, it's pushing forward. It's reaching out. It's grabbing hold. It's when you have no fallback. It's when you know nothing else and no one else will do. That's biblical faith. Desperate, bold faith. And guess what? That is the only kind of faith that can save a person and bring God right up close into their lives. And so perhaps you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're watching this. And if you are, then Jesus is inviting you. He is speaking to you and asking you to surrender everything and come to him desperate like that, bold like that. Because if you do, he will forgive all your sins. He will erase all your shame, no matter what you've done. He will bring you into relationship with him. He will come right up close into your life and he will change your life, guaranteed. And you will never, ever, ever be alone again. Right? Not during COVID, not in any situation. He's inviting you today. And if today you want to make a response, will you hop online and check out this link and connect with us? We would love to help you do that. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus, you may have forgotten that that's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. You see, there's nothing like cold faith and dead faith and head knowledge faith to keep Jesus at arm's length. And so maybe as a follower of Jesus, you found your experience of God has actually grown cold. You've become distanced in your relationship with God in some way. But maybe now, Maybe as times are tougher, whether it's from COVID or not, maybe now you're here today and you've realized you've reached the end of your own solutions. You're dissatisfied with how far God feels from you. Now, whatever tough times has brought that about, however alone and abandoned you feel, Jesus is promising that today, if you look to him again with that kind of faith, a desperate, bold, surrender kind of faith, he will come near you. He will come into your life again. He will be so close, so intimate, so near. He will give you such peace in whatever circumstances that you're going through. So Christian, if this is you, follower of Jesus, you've become distanced from God. Will you today look to him and plead with him to come into your life again with desperate and bold faith? That's the first response. The second response is that we need to move towards others, all right? If you are a follower of Jesus and you are those that have been brought close, up close by the God who comes right up to you, if he's closed the distance, then God's people need to, by his power, do the same, yeah? We are people who move towards others. Historically, this has happened, by the way. God's people have ministered to, loved on some of the most desperately outcasts in society, right? The poor the marginalized, the untouchables, the orphans, disabled, sex workers, right? Christians, churches have gone out and loved them. 
Uh, even in plagues and pandemics, we know historically, um, for example, in the Roman plagues, like one in the second century, when Romans abandoned even their own family members to die. You know who stayed behind? The early Christians did to care for the sick at the risk of their own lives. Now, that's obviously an example. They're pretty radical examples, but they come from understanding what God has done for us through Jesus. And it becomes a natural response to do towards others. Now, here's the thing. I reckon that some of us may be called to do the radical stuff like that, but probably not many of us. However, don't think we get off scot-free because all of us, all of us are asked to move towards others. Not in the radical, crazy ways that I've mentioned, some of us might be, but in the thousand ordinary ways in our lives that we find ourselves with people that we would rather distance ourselves from. You got that? Are these people maybe your family members? They may actually be the people you go to church with, people who are different to you, people who annoy you, or likely people who have hurt you in some way. These are people you'd prefer to keep at a distance. Well, God is calling you today as a follower of Jesus, as those who've experienced Him moving towards you, to now move towards them in love. And this is hard, isn't it? Oh, so hard, especially if the distance is caused by hurt or conflict. You know it. I know it. It's much easier just to keep the walls up, right? Remain distanced. But we can't, can we? We can't. When the God who had every reason to stay away from us came right up close and he reconciled us to himself through the death of Jesus. How could we? So what's holding you back? Who is that person that God is saying to you today, you need to move towards them no matter how much it hurts, no matter how inconvenient, no matter what the reasons are? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have come right up close and personal through Jesus. I ask that right now those who need to exercise a bold and desperate faith, whether to believe in Jesus for the first time, and receive Him in their lives, or to come again and be renewed by His presence, that this would be the response. And those of us who have been loved so much by You moving towards us, please enable us to move towards others, especially those we find in our lives so hard to. Give us that power. Renew us by Your grace and Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we'd love for you to hang around, especially in in groups, to discuss some questions. Uh, The question today is this, how has God's good news impacted you today, right? This good news of the undistanced God. And is there an expression of faith or moving towards someone that he wants you to act on today? All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Please be inviting your friends to come along or to listen to the next few weeks as we continue to explore God's answer to a COVID world. All right, see you later.